0: Eric Reed got started on piano at age six, playing in his father's storefront church in Philadelphia. After the family moved to Los Angeles, Reed began to study jazz piano in earnest. Word got out about the young man burning up the keyboard, so in 1990 he took leave from his freshman year at college to go on the road with Wynton Marsalis. He never looked back, and the rest, as they say, is jazz history. I'm David Gorin, and this is Jazz Stories from Jazz at Lincoln Center. On this edition, Eric Reid discusses the process behind the making of his 20th album, Something Beautiful. The interview is taken from a listening party, hosted by Ken Drucker at the House of Swing in October 2011.
1: We were just talking this is your 20th CD as a leader. Apparently. I when I <laughs> uh, when I read that, I said 20 CD's. Yeah. It, it's 20 CD's in how many years? I guess 20 years. I made my first <laughs> CD in 1990,
2: 1989. So, 22, you of know, yeah. it, it mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't record every single year. There were some couple of years where I didn't record at all. Mm-hmm. But There was like one year where I made like three records.
1: My general impression is that these days it's it's hard for musicians to make a record and have people have a label to work a record. Do you just find that people are approaching you or that there's always an opportunity for you to record?
2: I think it's a combination of all of those things. Yes, it is difficult in a different way, but it's easier in another way. Uh, for musicians to make their own recordings nowadays, I mean, I could make a record right here. We've got, you know, microphones make a DVD, but, and it'd be high quality and edit all that kind of stuff. I think the, the tricky part is getting it out there, the access to the people, because there's so much that people are inundated with. So how do you make your CD stick out from somebody else who has just made a CD in their garage? I mean, because you know, the radio stations, they get, my God, hundreds of CDs a week. Please play my CD on the radio. Please play. My- so unless you have an in, or unless they know who you are, all that kind of stuff. I think radio trusts me, if I can say. I think they do. After all this time, they play my music, kind of knowing that it's going to be on a certain level, and also the people that have recorded my music also have their own machine as well. So you know, when I record for WJ Three with Willie Jones. He's also a veteran musician as well, so he's not just a veteran label owner, he's a veteran musician. So it's a combination of all those things. I think it'd be a lot harder for me if I was just doing this by myself. Everybody needs help. We all need help out here.
1: And you've had the experience of working with major labels yep. and with smaller labels. Yep. Is the experience of recording? I mean, obviously the marketing and everything that goes around it is different. But is the experience of coming up with an idea for a record and recording is it any different when, depending on who you're recording it for?
2: No, it isn't because I've got pages and pages of ideas. I'm already thinking about the next three or four records that I want to do. So I keep saying to Willie, Hey Willie, why don't we do this record? Well, I want to do a tribute to Rodson Hart, or I want to do a tribute to. Burt Williams, I mean, whatever. He's like, okay, that's fine. Let's, let's do this tonight. He's been trying to get me to do a solo record for about three or four years now. And for various reasons, it hasn't always happened. You know, he's busy, I'm busy, whatever. Um, I, well, let's, try, let's try this. So
1: I'm actually gonna do it. Okay, well, we can put him on the spot. We should point out yes. Mr. Yes. Willie Jones. Willie really Jones. <laughs> 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 now, this one is called Something Beautiful. Yes. It seems like a collection of songs that you love
2: all my albums are. Okay, is is there anything,
1: is there any greater theme than that, is it just music that you love? This particular CD came about as a result of a long list
2: of songs that I've been compiling over a lot of years, and what I discovered from this project is that I actually am very fond of very pretty melodies. I like playing pretty things. Uh, Most people know me for having kind of an aggressive style, a percussive style, or You know, churchy style, whatever. Um, But I really like to play things that are just pretty and melodious to the ear. So this whole CD wound up being songs and the tempos and the feelings were kind of all in the same kind of general vein of just this kind of quiet stream. You know, no real highs, no real lows. (laughs) Just this kind of just moderate kind of pacing, you know. I didn't know it was gonna wind up that way. And after we listened to the whole thing, I was like, wow. Is anybody gonna wanna hear this? was <laughs> like, dude, shut up. I mean, and and you know, Widow's like you know, my number one fan because since we, we've known each other since we were teenagers, 17, 18 years old. And so I don't know anybody in the jazz world that has ever had my back more than he has. We've always played a bunch of gigs together. Uh, I've played on his records. He's played on my records. And we've, even before we we're playing jazz together, we were playing gospel music together. So that's how far back we go. So, if I ever came to a point of self-doubt, Willie would just you know smack me in the back of the head and just to you know you're good, you're fine.
1: And and Willie is the producer. <laughs> Willie is the producer. Can I ask you a question? I get asked this question a lot, and I always at, like asking people what does a producer do?
2: (laughs) (laughs) It depends on the genre. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, For instance, somebody like Quincy Jones. Now, Quincy Jones is actually an amazing producer because part of what he does is he helps to create the concept for the recording so that it has some continuity. So you can't give him credit for Michael Jackson, but you can give him credit for Michael Jackson's albums, the overall package. Michael was the talent. But Quincy, you know, is Michael going to call up? Hey, uh, you know, Prakash, I need to write me a song. Mike's mm-hmm. not making that call. <laughs> so what Quincy would do is Quincy calls all the musicians. He calls the studio. He gets the arrangements together because all he wants Michael to do is come in and sing. And that's really all the artist, a pop artist, needs to do. An artist just needs to come in and just sing. A jazz producer, on the other hand, and it varies. You've got a Tio Masero. You've got a uh, Orrin News, You've got you know all these different types of producers. Willie Jones, to me, is such a a positive force in the studio because he's not really functioning like a producer. He's more of an overseer. Technically, he's the producer because he booked the studio, so I don't have to worry about that. Uh, But I knew what musicians I wanted. Now, see, jazz is different in the sense that jazz musicians, we have an idea of what we want the record to sound like, and we pretty much come in prepared to do that. And basically, all we need the engineer to do, just press play and record and shut up. You know, But Willie also gives me some perspective. So i say, hey Willie, what do you think about that? He'll say, you know what, let's do another one, how about a little bit slower? This record in particular, uh, having Willie as a producer was really helpful for the drummer Rodney Green because a lot of this music was new and the three of us, me, Rodney, and Ruben, we hadn't played together as an ensemble much and definitely hadn't made any recordings. So there were a couple of things Willie's ear being objective because he wasn't actually behind the kit himself but knowing the drum kit there was something I think it was on in your own sweet way there's a particular pattern that Rodney was trying to figure out and Willie said, "Hey, why don't you try XYZ?" And that can be kind of tricky. You know, especially with a drummer like Rodney Green who's extremely singular to be open to another drummer's point of view about what he's doing. You know, that's that's a very that's a great producer. He knows he knows when Two
1: and when not to. You mentioned the uh... Bandmates, but you should mention them again now. Uh, them
2: on drums is uh, Rodney Green, a phenomenal drummer from Philadelphia, well from in New Jersey, but you know, who's from Pensauken? <laughs> He's from, uh, from Philly. And um, Rodney really developed his talent at a, a very young age. And at about the age of 16, he was playing professionally with Patti LaBelle. And then he came to New York not too long after that, and I heard him, uh, Stefan Harris, vibraphone, said to me, he said, man, there's this drummer that you gotta hear. Uh, he's playing down at Sweet, the now defunct, Sweet Basil was, and Sweet Rhythm. Um, he was playing with Greg Osby. Mm. And I said, wait, stop. <laughs> There's a drummer that's playing with Greg Osby that I need to hear? <laughs> now, I love Greg Osby, don't get me wrong, but we don't, our musicians, you know, they, mm-hmm. they just don't have the same things in common. Mm. So I'm like, how is that you're hearing somebody who's playing that kind of music and you think he'd work with something that I'm trying to do? It's, it's two different things. You know, like I said, all due respect to, to Greg. So, I, you know, I wasn't doing anything. I went on down, and man, he was just—he was just doing it. I just his the energy of what he was doing, even more so than what he was playing, was like, wow, this kid's really got 18. Okay, so I'll start. You know, checking him out. So I started working with him for a couple of years, and then on bass is uh, Ruben Rogers, and I can't say Ruben's name without smiling because. Uh, I met Ruben, I think he was playing with uh, Teodos Avery, a tennis saxophone player, and I've always loved playing with Ruben because playing with Ruben is like riding a runaway horse. <laughs> he might jump off the cliff, he might not. <laughs> he might, you just never know what's going to happen, and I was just listening to this thinking to myself, man, everything he's doing, I just love, because he keeps the music from being boring, plus watching him also, when he walks and when he's soloing, he's always very exciting to watch. I always like to uh, compare him a little bit to Richard Davis, because Richard Mm. Davis's style is very, you know, it's never just quarter notes all the time, it's going to always jump into something else. So that keeps a kick into the music, and I I needed the the both of them and their energy that they brought, because they're both two very different of individuals, But it's a very funny thing with bassists and drummers. That's a married couple, and in a lot of ways, because they're playing with each other more than anybody else in the band. And if the bass and the drums aren't locking up, the music is just not happening. And I notice with every bassist and drummer that I work with, there's always some kind of thing. When I worked with, uh, with Willie Jones and Gerald Cannon, that was Roy Hargrove's rhythm section for a while, so they've had this whole thing, and then when they worked together with me, they were always going at it with each other. I mean, they were just, it's like, I would get real scared because, you know, <laughs> we, Willie would turn a little red and then uh, this vein would pop out of his head and then Gerald, like, but you know, it wasn't serious. That's
1: just. Just like a real
2: marriage. Uh, exactly. Yeah. That's just the bass and the drums. That's husband and wife, that's just how bassists and drummers are. Mm-hmm. And Ruben and Rodney, it was a different kind of tension because it was more musical tension because they both have Oddly enough, all three of us play really on top, almost to the point of rushing. But Ruben rushes even more, and Rodney's trying to hold it back. And then it reminded me that all through this session, one of the reasons that it's so subdued, but it still works musically, is that I was sick. I had a fever of 102. You remember that, Willie? I couldn't even breathe. I could barely, so you can hear me on the, you know, taking these deep breaths, I'm about to pass out. You know, but I mean, I wasn't, you know, on death's door. But I remember it being a challenge for me, because again, you know, the rehearsal before it was cool, but it was still new music. So, and Ruben Re- and Rodney hadn't really played together a whole lot, and the three of us, it was just, it was a very, it was a kind of a tense session on a lot of levels. But I think, all in all, the subdued nature of the music. It's kind of an odd result. Yeah, the tension is not apparent. It's not really all that apparent yeah. unless you're really listening.
1: Because there are. Clear. Very, I'm sorry? Very clear and independent lines.
2: Absolutely. You. Well, again, the songs that I picked and the, the treatments that I gave them, it wasn't really intentional. It's just kind of just something that just happened. And I think the circumstances and the dynamics all contributed to that.
0: Pianist Eric Reed. You can hear Eric Reed in performance by going to Jazz at Lincoln Center's radio program archive, www.jalc.org slash jazzcast. You can find all of our jazz stories at jalc.org and on iTunes. Jazz Stories is produced at Murray Street by me, David Gorin, with Alexa Lim and Stephen Rath. Support comes from Jazz at Lincoln Center. Consider becoming a member and experiencing America's great jazz art at Rose Hall, our House of Swing. You'll find schedules and more at JALC.org.